No. The defense is wrong. Are you sure? I'm positive. How could you be so sure? Because there is no way that these tire marks were made by a 64 Buick Skylark. These marks were made by a 1963 Pontiac Tempest. Objection, Your Honor. Can we clarify to the court whether the witness is stating opinion or fact? This is your opinion? It's a fact. I find it hard to believe that this kind of information could be ascertained simply by looking at a picture. Would you like me to explain? I would love to hear this. up everyone the pint after podcast episode 18 i'm nick co-host louie hey everyone how you doing louie's here louie's fired up i'm fi- this has not been a good week <laughs> <laughs> you're fired up fired up uh, yeah whatever so we're here today we're going to talk about more soccer we're going to do soccer things we're going to talk about usl mpsl upsl any kind of news that might be out there but we're also going to bring on a guest mickey turner he's going to come on and talk about all these lawsuits that are going on in the world of soccer because I got to be honest, it really is something that doesn't interest me the most. So I'd rather get an expert to talk about it than for me to try to pretend I know what I'm talking about. Nick, how, how do you not get any of this? I don't. I, I pretend on a weekly basis. What are you kidding? Uh, well, I mean, that's our bread and butter here. Yeah, absolutely. So come back. We're going to talk about the USL first before we get into the guest. Let's hit up USL News. I think I'll start, Louie, and I'll start with FC Cincinnati as they sign Sierra, Sierra Leonean Michael Lahoud. I think we know who he is. He spent the last two seasons at FC Miami. Uh, Miami FC, sorry. <laughs> starting 50 of 52 appearances, picking up five goals and an assist. He's seen times with the Philadelphia Union, Chivas USA, and... The New York Cosmos. He had four caps with Sierra Leone. Good luck, Mike LaHood. He's a good guy. Jeez, Miami FC hasn't played since October. You already forgot about them? In the last um, FIFA game, Uh I actually bought Mike LaHood as my holding midfielder for Salernitana. Oh, look at that. He was a beast. Yeah. Anyway, uh, moving on, another bit of uh, (laughs) FC Cincinnati news. I'm just not going to entertain the Salernitana. Uh, FC Cincinnati and defender Josu mutually split ways. Josu will return to Spain after making 15 appearances with three assists since last season. Good luck to him. Louisville, North Carolina match was rescheduled. This was originally planned for March 24th, but the game was postponed due to storms in the Louisville area. So now it's going to be played on Tuesday, October 9th at 7 p.m. at Louisville Slugger Park. And then one of my favorite pieces of news, the Las Vegas Lights FC partner with pot, sorry, marijuana dispensary, Nuwu Cannabis. Uh, now, this will allow Nuwu Cannabis to promote their marketplace at the team's stadium, Cashman Field, which it shares with the New York Mets AAA affiliate, the Las Vegas 51s. You know, I have to wonder how the Mets are actually reacting. I didn't even think about that till right now, how they must 
I mean, obviously, yeah, they have to give their if permission. If you want to really, really quick get into it, the Mets don't give a shit because they're out of Vegas next year. That AAA affiliate's moving to Binghamton, so they don't care. Oh, very good. The dispensary is the largest in the world, sells both medicinal and recreational marijuana to more than 1,000 people a day. They even have a 24-hour drive-thru. Oh, man, it's amazing. It's like the McDonald's of weed. Light CEO <laughs> Brett Lashbrook supported the decision, saying they're not embarrassed to support any business at the Lights. Can't wait till they support their first uh, adult video store or something. Glassbrook also anticipates the partnership will include a branded marijuana inside the dispensary. That's that's what I'm looking forward to. How do you brand that? Light, lights out. Lights it up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, I'm very interested because like you see, like here in New York, you see all the time like the stores where it's like, these bongs are meant for the legal smoking of tobacco in like every window. And I wonder there's going to be like Las Vegas Lights branded bongs and stuff. That'd be very interesting. With llamas on the cover. <laughs> it's a llama bong, like a llama shaped bong. <laughs> <laughs> so moving on to the match recast from the past weekend, Swope Park Rangers and OKC Energy had their game postponed due to weather. The match was not rescheduled yet. To be honest, OKC Energy is probably giving thanks for that. In the 11-2, they beat Nashville SC 2-1. A reported attendance of over 10,000 saw a brace by by Sonny Saad lead as he led uh, Indy 11 to their second straight win in their third and four games. They've given up only two goals in those four games. Nashville, after a three-game unbeaten run, give up their first goal in in three games. Saad opened up the scoring in the 15th when a Jose played a beautiful long ball over the top of a leaping Nashville defender. Saad got in behind, took a touch, and tucked it in past keeper Matt Pickens while 1v1. In the 34th, Saad got his brace with a 35-yard strike when Jack McInerney played a free kick short to him and he let it rip. It was an incredible swerving ball that bounced into the back of the net and onto the ESPN top 10. Nashville did get one right before the half as a nice team goal, which had Lobo Meloto with the ball on the right, slide it toward the six, and Rapapa Mensa was able to poke it in. Nashville had a good chance to tie it in the 89th, but a Bradley Bourgeois header was calmly cleared off the line by Zach Steinberger. Excuse me. Uh, once again, Indy takes it 2-1 over Nashville. Red Bull 2 put up a whooping over Tampa Bay Rowdies in New Jersey. Red Bull 2 won its third home game of the year, and they're unbeaten in their last three, just absolutely destroying the Rowdies. They grabbed their first shutout of the year. The Rowdies fell to 3-0-2, and with the loss and have lost two of their last three. Amazingly, they lost 5 nothing this week. Last week, they won 5 nothing. So we're, we're, uh, The circle of life. Circle of life, yeah. So Fidel Escobar started the scoring in the 18th minute when he found Carlos Rivas' ball into the box and curled it low and right behind Tampa keeper Cody Mizell. Rebel went off in the second half. Started in the 53rd when Stefano Bonomo fed Jose Anguinaga at the top of the 18, and Jose placed a beautiful curling shot into the upper 90. Bonomo got rewarded for that assist in the 61st as Armando Moreno flicked the ball into the box onto Bonomo, who tucked a goal in of his own. Brian White got into the scoring in the 84th, but the play belonged to Stefano Bonomo. As he had a ball on the end line, he was able to slip by. It looked like Ivan Magalis uh, and slid a perfect pass to Brian White, who was open at the top of the six. Finally, Brian White got his brace in the 90th. His, his head found a Jared Strude cross, and he was able to put it away. I mean, just absolutely beating there. Kind of shocking, because Mizell and the Rowdies have been very good. My roommate is a uh, Tampa Bay Rowdies fan, and he made the trek all the way out to RBA to watch that game. And, man, what a 
anyway. Charlotte Independence, they lose at home 2-0 to North Carolina FC. North Carolina get their first win in points of the season after losing their first three games. For Charlotte, after a three-game unbeaten streak to start the season, they've now lost two straight 2-0 games and are winless in their last three. The game was scoreless after the first half, but North Carolina broke the deadlock in the 50th in a crazy sequence that saw Daniel Rios collect a loose ball in the box, put it on frame, pick up his own rebound off the post, and then tuck that in. In the 86th, North Carolina put the game away as Mario Lomas tapped in a ball which was the result of a complete nightmare for Charlotte goalkeeper Andrew Dykstra. It was basically a set piece which was played to the far post and was bicycle kicked by Footy Danso. Dykstra tried to play it, looks like he kind of muffed it, bounced off the crossbar and fell right for Lomas to put it away. Instead of trying to catch it, he probably should have just tried to tip it over the net. You would think, right? Yeah, it's basics. <laughs> Pittsburgh Riverhounds got a one nothing win over Ottawa Fury. Pittsburgh is unbeaten in their First four after this one nothing win over the Fury. This is also the second straight win and fourth straight shutout for them after this game. Ottawa's lost all three games it's played. Had a negative nine goal differential after this game against Keep sleeping, the Riverhounds. Yep. Keep sleeping. <laughs> Missing a hell of a season. <laughs> the game was, was actually all Pittsburgh, even though it was only one nothing. They commanded over 60% of the possession, and Ottawa could only muster one shot on target all game. Pittsburgh looked to have the lead in the 64th, but there was a goal called off for offside, so Ottawa... You know, escaped there, but Pittsburgh eventually got it. 85th minute. Toady Adewale found his way to a Kevin Kerr ball into the box and put it away. The one real shot Ottawa had came in like the 98th minute. Christian Portia struck a great ball from distance, but the Hounds goalkeeper Dan Lynn punched it over the bar. one nothing Pittsburgh. That was a real impressive shot. Actually could have spoiled it right there. Uh, Lovell City, they take game 2-1 over the Richmond Kickers. Lovell has its fourth straight win to start the season. They do so with never scoring more than two goals per game. In fact, this game saw them concede their first goal of the season. Richmond came into the game with only two non-losses, a win versus North Carolina and a tie to Red Bull, but this was their third loss of the season. Uh, Brian Shriver started the scoring for Richmond in the 18th from distance, the first player to beat Gret Greg Ranjitsing this season. Heviel Cordova's got the assist. In the 64th, Lovell got even uh, as Cameron Lancaster was taken down in the 18. Kyle Smith tucked away to PK low and left. The defending champs got the, la- got the late three points in stoppage time as George Davis IV received the ball from Ilya Illich at the top left-hand side of the 18, took a touch and left-footed a shot past Richmond keeper Trevor Spankenberg. Again, that's Louisville City 2 over Richmond kickers 1. At what point do you start switching up the names? I mean, you shouldn't have as many people in life as almost there were Rocky movies. <laughs> Just saying. George Davis the fourth. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anyway, Seattle Sounders FC2 versus Rio Grande Valley. This is a crazy game. Seattle won their first game since opening day. They had dropped four games in a, in a, in a row. Rio Grande were left winless in four with these back-to-back losses. Just just, just a tough one uh, for Rio Grande. Seattle struck very early. It was the first minute as Felix Chenkum headed home a Ray Sari cross. In the 22nd, it was a very odd one. Toros gave the ball back to the goalkeeper. I think it was like on one of those professional plays. And the goalkeeper, Callie Brown, was kind of like playing around with it. And Matthias, Matthias Zaldivar said enough of that. Came in on the, on the keeper Showed too much of the ball. Zaldivar tackled, won the ball, put it into the net, so it was equalized. In stoppage time in the first half, Guillermo Delgado tucked in a Victor Garza cross from the right side to put Rio Grande up to one. Then the second half came. It was the 66th minute. It was a nice buildup for Seattle, too. They equalized. Chenkum chipped home a lovely ball past uh, the goalkeeper, Matt Sanchez, for his brace. Rodriguez Ellie got the assist. 
And in the 82nd minute, Seattle 2 got the winner. A nice buildup from the right side. So Denzo Ulysses take a shot on goal. The goalkeeper Sanchez was initially equal to the task, but the rebound fell right to Azriel Gonzalez. He tipped it in. Seattle gets the 3-2 win. St. Louis FC beats LA Galaxy 2-1-0. St. Louis got their second win of the season and are on a three-game unbeaten streak. LA have lost three straight, still do not have a win in their five games on the season, and are shut out for the fourth time. St. Louis got the only goal of the affair as Joey Calistri headed home a Jonathan Barden cross from the right. LA keeper Eric Lopez got a hand on it, but it was not enough. Again, St. Louis hangs on to shut out LA Galaxy 1-0. Orange County is is pretty hot at the moment. They 3-0 winners over San Antonio on Saturday. Over 6,000 watched San Antonio fall at home. San Antonio is now winless in three, including their last two at home. They only have one win on the season. Orange County got on the board in the second half when Koji Hashimoto, a free kick, curled into the top left corner. San Antonio could not clear a ball properly in the 83rd, which allowed Mark Segbers pass to Thomas Envoltson, who's been pretty on fire, and he fired it in, being goal line clearance attempt. Three minutes later, Envoltson fed Giovanni Godoy, who blew past goalkeeper Diego Restrepo, and who, who had left his box and passed it into a wide-open net. Orange County goalkeeper Andre Lewis posted eight saves in this game. 3-0 Orange County. Heading over to Reno. Reno 1868. They dropped their home game 4-0 to the Colorado Springs Switchbacks FC. Reno now winless in their first four, dropping three of them and have been shut out in the last two. This was Colorado's second straight win after two losses, first road win and their first shutout. Luis Felipe Fernandez opened the scoring against his own team. After his attempted clearance wound up in the net in the 18th, in the 25th, A.J. Ajequa got a header on the end of a Luke Vercolone cross to beat J.T. Marcinkowski. Vercolone had a shot from just inside the edge of the box in the 47th for 3-0. Colorado finished the scoring in the 67th as Jamal Jack headed in a Josh Suggs corner. Reno had insult added to injury when Brenton Griffiths was shown a red in the 88th. Once again, Colorado takes it on the road 4-0 over Reno. Big one here, Vegas Lights, Sacramento Republic FC, 8K at Cashman Field. The Lights continued their hot start. They still haven't lost a game. They're 2-0-2. Sacramento are also unbeaten in five, and they've given up under a goal per game. So two good teams right here. The Lights struck very early, second minute off the corner. As the corner came in, Miguel Angel Gordono headed it into the six, where Joel Huiki went down to the ground to head it home for the one nothing lead past goalkeeper Josh Cohen. Sacramento got the equalizer in the 57th as Villian Bijev's corner was flicked home by Christian Aselle past Ricardo Farino. Game finished, all tied, 1-1. Just a matter of time before they have to start drug testing at Cashman Field. Bethlehem Steel, they'll draw 1-1 with FC Cincinnati at home. Cincy with the draw are now 2-1-1 on the season and winless in their last two. Bethlehem got its second straight draw in this game after dropping the previous two. In the 15th minute, Bethlehem got on the board first when Corey Burke was inside the 18 and flicked home a ball played in by Anthony Fontana, beating goalkeeper Evan Newton. In the 71st, since he drew level as Nazmi Abadawi picked up a touch from Emery Walshman in the box and beat John McCarthy. Cincinnati looked very sloppy at points and seemed to struggle often against Bethlehem, but they get the road point and uh, the game ends even at one between Bethlehem and FC Cincinnati. Moving on to last night's games, there were a couple of them. Toronto FC 2 and North Carolina FC played to a 0-0 draw. It's Toronto FC's first point of the season. Toronto FC 2, they picked up their first shutout. North Carolina are on a two-game unbeaten streak after their three straight uh, and post their second straight shutout. 
Toronto had a goal called off, and North Carolina hit the crossbar late off a Morris, uh, Morios Loomis attempt. Despite holding the possession for more of the game, Carolina were outshot 17-9. to Again, the game ended nil-nil. Meanwhile, over in Fresno, they draw even with the Tulsa Roughnecks, 2-2. Fresno are on a five-game unbeaten streak since their opening day loss. In six games, this is just the second time they've given up two goals or more. Tulsa are still winless in five, but have drawn their last two. Pedro Ribeiro hit a long-range bomb in the 27th minute that hit the right side upper 90 after being fed by Noah Verhoeven to give the Foxes the lead. Tulsa equalized in the 55th with a John Beccaro cross headed on by Paris G, arcing over goalkeeper Kyle Rainish. The 77th minute saw Fresno back up after Ronnie Argueta raced to pick up the rebound from a shot, firing past a vulnerable Stefan Cleveland. A pair of reds were shown in the 81st after a scuffle sending Ramon Martin del Campo of Fresno and Claudio Munoz of Tulsa, of Tulsa to the showers. The fifth minute of stoppage was where Tulsa's equalizer was found, as Bacara was fed by Adrian Jusino and he beat Rainish 1v1. Again, that's 2-2 Fresno, Tulsa. Rio Grande Valley became the first team in the history of the world to lose to two B teams, so two teams in the same five, six-day span at the same score. Probably. I mean, check the records. Maybe it happened before. I don't know. <laughs> Portland Timbers 2 won 3-2, to two, just as Seattle 2 beat Rio Grande earlier in the week. Portland celebrated their home opener with their second straight win. Rio Grande Valley, after this game, is on a five-game winless, three-game losing streak to start the year. Rio Grande went on the board first in the 30th as Connor Donovan headed home a corner to Omar Ontiveros, who heads it into the top corner. Jeremy Ibobise equalized in the 56 as he found a clear, uh, a failed clearance in the box while wide open and volleyed a pass goalkeeper Nicholas Corti. Uh, Jack Barnby PK in the 61st put Portland ahead. The gap was widened in the 68th by Forster Langsdorf as he beat the uh, traffic to head in, in a cross from Terrell Lowe. And Todd Wharton pulled the Toros within one with a PK in the 81st. Lamar Batista of Portland and Manny Padilla of Rio Grande Valley were each given their second yellows in stoppage time and ejected. 3-2, Timbers over Rio Grande. Sacramento Republic take a 2-1 at home over the Colorado Springs switchbacks. Sacramento is still undefeated this season, going 4-0-2, and are averaging under a goal surrendered per game. They also pick up their first win against Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs picks up their fourth loss in seven games, ending back-to-back wins. The switchbacks actually jumped out to a lead in the 28th when a Shane Malcolm headed home a corner from Josh Suggs, beating Josh Cohen. Cameron Owasa beat Moise Poati inside the box, picking up a great through ball from Carlos Rodriguez to even it up. Iwasa also picked up an assist, beating Viljan Bijev in the box, who juked his way around defenders and the goalkeeper to beat them from a narrow angle. Again, Sacramento Republic take it at home 2-1 over the switchbacks. All right, so that that was all the games we had. So at the top of the East, Louisville are now alone at top of the East with their perfect 4-0 start to the season. Rebel 2 were behind them with 10 points, followed by Tampa Bay and Indy with 9 points each. The West sees Sacramento lead the pack with 14 points. Orange County are a point over Real Monarchs with 13 points due to their four-game winning streak. However, they've played two more games than the Monarchs. In terms of goals, Carlton Belmar and Thomas Ennevoldson, Belmar, Swoke Park Rangers, and Ennevoldson of Orange County, of course, are tied for the lead with five. Looking at assists, Haji Barry from Swoke Park Rangers, Michael Chang from Real Monarchs, and Mark Sigvers from Orange County FC all have the lead with three. Shutouts, Andre Rawls from Orange County SC leads with four. He also leads the saves category with 18. And yellow cards are Kim Taesong, Colorado Springs Switchbacks with four. Also, Joel Wiki with Las Vegas Lights also at four. Player of the week for the USL this past week was Suni Saad of Indy 11. 
Moving along to USLD3 news, they actually, at this point, have met with already, again, Lansing, Michigan, and Toledo, Ohio. That was the second time they've met with these groups. They were impressed with both of them during their first visits earlier in the year. Lansing United of PDL has expressed interest in joining the Pro League. Lansing has a population of 475K and Toledo more than 600K. Looking over PDL news, Memphis City FC are to join the PDL this year. Memphis City FC was acquired by USL Memphis, the, of course, the future USL D2 franchise. While the USL club will not play until 2019, the PDL side joins the Deep South Division and will be the final new club in PDL this year. And that's all we have on USL PDL front. We're going to come back. We're going to talk to Mickey Turner about all the ongoings in the courtrooms. We've got lower division soccer, so don't want to miss that. Pints up, everybody. Honored to have on Mickey Turner from Seattle, but also known as the guy on Twitter who knows everything about everything going on legally in U.S. soccer. Mickey, what's going on? <laughs> How's it going, guys? Uh, pleasure to join you. Uh, you know, it's going good. We thank you for joining us. We cover the lower leagues here. We know there's a lot of lot of, lot of a lot of lower league soccer is in the courtroom right now, and we wanted to bring you on to get started on it. There's a lot to cover. So I think the first place we want to hit is obviously NASL versus the world. Um, you know, right now we know that the, the the appeal process and everything that's over. You know, can you? Where are we now in the process? What is next? And is it discovery? And and how long does that process take too? Like, wh- where are we? Yeah. So there's two uh, you know two main suits going on right now. Um, there's obviously the antitrust uh, lawsuit that was filed last September uh, 2017 uh, after uh, U.S. soccer yanked uh, NASL's D2 designation. Uh, they filed the lawsuit. Uh, they tried to get the preliminary injunction. That was denied by the district court judge. They then appealed to the appellate court. That was denied. They could have tried to go to the Supreme Court, but they obviously elected not to do that. Um, and so... As far as the antitrust, trust, actually, uh, tomorrow is the deadline by which U.S. soccer has to file a response to the amended complaint. Um, uh, your readers or listeners may know that NASL amended their lawsuit uh, about a month ago uh, to add MLS as a direct defendant uh, in the antitrust lawsuit, alleging conspiracy and all that stuff. Um, so they came to an agreement as far as the schedule is concerned to uh, respond to the loss uh, to the complaint by uh, April 20th tomorrow. So tomorrow we will get either an answer from MLS and U.S. Soccer as to the original complaint, or they will what is likely will file a motion to dismiss the antitrust lawsuit in its entirety. Um, and then that will, uh, I have the schedule here, uh, I think that's going to be argued sometime. If they do, in fact, file that motion to dismiss, that'll be filed or argued sometime in June, I think. I'll have to clarify that. But that's the next step on the antitrust lawsuit, is that uh, MLS and U.S. Soccer are required to file their response to the original lawsuit. So that's where we are on the antitrust uh, situation. So, so we keep talking about the original lawsuit. And I have to I have to ask, what are the implications for adding MLS 
you know, not including them in the original lawsuit. Uh, why? What were the reasons in your mind that NASL added them? What are the implications? Oh, yeah. Um, so the reason they did, they didn't add them previously is because I I think uh, NASL was more concerned about simply getting back the D2 designation uh, so that they could have a season in 2018 um, as a D2 league. Because of that, there was no real reason to add MLS um, because MLS wasn't I mean, obviously in a position to have anything to do with that. So there was really no need to add them as a defendant because um, NASL at that point uh, was purely after getting some D2 designation. They weren't concerned about getting monetary damages. With that not with that now not a possibility, at least through the court system, uh, they basically modified their lawsuit to include MLS as a co-conspirator, basically saying MLS and U.S. soccer colluded to base, destroy NASL, um, which they, you know, by NASL theory, they did by denying them D2 status, which caused teams to leave, which caused sponsors to go away which caused the league to essentially go on hiatus. So um, that's the reason that they weren't added originally. And now that their D2 is not in the immediate cards, uh, they can pursue the lawsuit uh, as just getting damages. And they're also obviously asking that U.S. soccer not be allowed to uh, regulate uh, you know, professional soccer through the professional league standards. So, quick question. Going back to you mentioned about tomorrow, do you expect a motion or do you expect a response? I respect. I expect a motion. Um, yeah, I just I don't see any reason why, uh, based on what U.S. Soccer has done to date, that they want to pursue the lawsuit itself. Right. Uh, so they'd obviously rather get the case dismissed than fight it and then have to go through a trial. There's ob- you know the obvious reason is that's going to cost a lot of money um, if they can get it dismissed. Uh, obviously, uh, that will be done with you know relatively soon. Um, and if it's not dismissed, then that's when the discovery process comes in, which you know could uh, raise uh, some skeletons or reveal some skeletons that U.S. Soccer and MLS probably don't want um, brought out into the public. Right now, um, you know, in terms of because I was that's what I thought you would say the dismiss, and then you said they'd argue it in June. What 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 are their chances of getting a dismissal? Um, I. My original thought um, when I, uh, when this, you know, I guess, let me back up. Uh, back in October, when I first started kind of getting into this, the thing that kind of spurred my interest was uh, a letter that was sent by uh, U.S. Soccer to the court, basically asking for a schedule uh, so that they could uh, argue, argue a motion to dismiss. Um, at that point, um, I didn't think that their chances were particularly great to get a dismissal. Um, after the injunction was denied by the district court, I still don't, I still didn't think that their chances were particularly good at getting this, a dismissal because the district court seemed to say, well, while I'm not granting the injunction, there is enough smoke here that, um, NASL can pursue their claims. And the appeals court essentially, you know, by my interpretation said the same thing. Um, Neil Morris, uh, has a different opinion. He's, uh, he works down in North Carolina. He's an attorney as well. His reading was that the appellate court basically said that NASL has a lot of work to do to prove their case. Um, I read it as, um, 
NASL has a claim to make, though they haven't proven it yet. So they're kind of different sides of the same coin. But the bottom line is, I think at this point, they have enough to survive a motion to dismiss, but I haven't read the motion yet. So I can't give a prediction as to how, how that would turn out. But at least at this point, I think they are reasonably likely to survive a motion to dismiss. And then, and then I'll finish up on the antitrust aspect of it. Um, you know, so yeah. say they go to the motion to dismiss. So one of two things could happen in June. The case gets dismissed, and Garber and Sunil skip away all happy. And Rocco probably throws a few chairs out to window, Conor McGregor style. <laughs> um, or it doesn't get dismissed. Um, if it doesn't get dismissed, it goes to the discovery, as you mentioned. Just really quickly, not getting too in, you know, to detail, how long does that discovery process take? And then is the next step a proper trial? I, just for those who might not know the process. Yeah, so what will happen next is if the case is dismissed, then the parties will get together and establish, you know, probably in the, uh, by way of a status conference, where they'll kind of hash out, get, you know, setting a trial date, uh, getting witnesses, you know, deadlines for certain uh, things like witnesses and stuff like that. On the discovery aspect, that's sure to be a huge fight because uh, you can bet that uh, NASL is going to want to look at uh, uh, U.S. soccer's, you know, financials. They're going to want to look at correspondences between U.S. soccer and MLS. They're definitely going to want a copy of the Soccer United Marketing Agreement. And it's highly unlikely that U.S. soccer or MLS is going to agree to that. So there's going to be a huge fight on that. They'll set parameters for discovery because you can't request every single, you know, uh, you know a typical request would be something like, please provide a copy of the Soccer United Marketing Agreement. Um, but another request might be, please provide every correspondence between Sunil Galati and Don Garber since 1996. Um, as you can imagine, that would be a lot of uh, documentation and a lot of time and a lot of expense. And the courts will probably try to narrow that to some degree, um, just because it's you know it's just overly burdensome to have to come up with all of that information, um, especially since a lot of it may not be relevant to anything. So uh, there will likely be a fight on how the discovery is to be done and how much there is, but that would be the next step, along with setting a trial date probably and uh, you know stuff like witness witnesses depositions and just establishing various deadlines i want to i want to close out this part uh, i guess this questions about this case with just a simple question to you do you think in your opinion and i mean as a legal expert here do you think that the nasl has a case if so if they do if they don't and why not or why or why not sorry so I would say that um, the main issue with the NASL's case and why they did not prevail on the preliminary injunction, granted that was a higher standard to get the injunction, um, but the main issue at this point with NASL's case is proving the conspiracy aspect of it, like the agreement to do something. So right now you have two parties, U.S. Soccer and MLS. Uh, you have a financial relationship between the two which benefits them, obviously, by way of the Sark United Marketing Agreement. What you don't have, at least at this point, um, and, you, also, I guess, and the third thing that you have is uh, NASL being damaged by a decision that U.S. Soccer made, which was denying D2 status. What you don't have, at least at this point, is the agreement between NASL and U.S. Soccer, or uh, not NASL, uh, U.S. Soccer and MLS, to do something to damage NASL. 
Um, so you have you got you got step one and you got step three, but you don't have step two to put them together at this point. That doesn't mean that there isn't you know a memo out there or a voicemail or a whistleblower or something along those lines that establishes that that agreement and the action to put it into effect. But we just don't have that at this point, and that's why they didn't prevail on the uh, injunction. Essentially, it's because they couldn't show that they were likely to prevail on that that element. So that's what the discovery process is presumably for, um, to you know, go through those documents and see if there's anything there. Uh, but NASL obviously isn't necessarily going to be granted the ability to go on a fishing expedition and you know, pull up every single document and voicemail and phone conversation and phone record um, and you know, expense report to try to prove their case. So that's where they're going to run into the, most, uh, the biggest problem is trying to find that agreement uh, between MLS and U.S. soccer to, you know, conspire against uh, NASL. Right. So that was the antitrust part of things, and you mentioned there was another yeah. piece. And, and I mentioned you – I imagine you're talking about the request for arbitration? Uh, no, the second one is the, uh, the New York state lawsuit where uh, NASL has uh, sued – the board members of U.S. soccer and, yeah, the individuals alleging breach of fiduciary duty. Um, and so that one has a, and I had it in front of me, but I lost it. But uh, the suit has been filed, obviously. There is a motion that has been filed by uh, all of the defendants to dismiss the case, uh, you know, entirely. Essentially on the same grounds is that, uh, you know, uh, U.S. soccer is just saying that the suit is essentially bogus. Um and it has right now we're waiting for NASL to file their response. Um, and then U.S. soccer uh, will get a chance to file the reply. Um, and then they'll fight it out in June. I think this, that hearing is up for June 4th. I could be off on that. Um, and I believe that um, NASL's response is due May 11th, give or take a day. So um, we've gotten the first part. We're waiting for NASL's response. And then, uh, U.S. Soccer will get a chance to reply, and then they'll argue it out. And then that's you know that suits the one where they're suing them individually. They're suing for uh, I think it's three hundred million dollars, or at least that's what the potential liability is. Uh, you know, we'll see how that goes. I want to see uh, NASL's response before I you know posit a likelihood of, of success on that one. Uh, again, the NASL's again running into the same problems is proving the conspiracy. Uh, to take the action to deny them a D2 certification and thereby damage them by uh, not allowing them to uh, operate as a Division II league. Now, um, in, in again, the, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, no go ahead. I was going to say, in that case, now uh, they're going to fight it out. You're waiting on responses, and they, they filed the motion to dismiss. Now, is this a, like a type of thing where it's against individuals? If it's dismissed, is it the whole thing is dismissed, or can they dismiss certain individuals and keep others you know, still in the game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that's probably what will happen, at least to some degree, because, you know, not all of the individuals who are named, uh, you know, presumably, um, if some of these allegations are correct, have the same liability. Uh, you know, Carlos, Carlos Bocanegra, who's a named defendant, didn't even join the board until I think it was uh, February of 2017. So he was only there six months before uh, NASL lost their DC sanctioning. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't get involved and, you know, you know, potentially do something wrong, but 
you know, certain defendants likely did not have the same level of involvement um, as others. You know, and you can you could probably think of who would be the ones that would be most involved. You know, Don Garber, Sunil Galati, uh, Carlos Cordero, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so that one, it's probably more likely than not that uh, at least a few of the defendants uh, get uh, bounced from the lawsuit um, just due to lack lack of evidence. Um, but uh, that's kind of where I would see that going, at least just just as a general impression. Again, that doesn't mean that there isn't evidence out there that they weren't all, you know, involved in in the action to deny D2 uh, sanctioning for nefarious reasons. Um, that's the other point of it, because um, obviously U.S. soccer is allowed to make these decisions at this point um, regarding uh, the professional league standards and regulating them and determining who has sanctioning. Um, but it's, as I said, it's it's probably likely at the motion to dismiss that you know a couple of the defendants may get bounced because they didn't have anything to do with any nefarious actions, or it's possible they all get bounced because there's simply not enough evidence to support the allegations. And if the ones say a um, bunch of them don't get bounced, does that then go to discovery? Yeah, and yeah, kind of the same process as right. the uh, uh, as the antitrust. Uh, they'll set a, a, a case schedule, they'll set a trial date, they'll go through kind of the discovery, uh, the parameters for discovery, and then it'll just get it'll get set for trial, and they'll keep moving. So the so the NASL is trying to get dirt on MLS, but if they can't get that, there's a chance they could get. Uh, dirt on Gobber and Sunil per se, because I know that's where Rocco's mm. anger, I think, most is. Um, so, so there's a lot of lot of options here. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, yeah, I, I mean that it, knowing that's where we are with the one against the individuals. Um, you know, I mentioned this before, and I just wanted to know if you, you know, because we're going on 20 minutes, we don't keep you too long. Uh, what can you tell us about the latest on the Silva Crowley arbitration request? We find this one really interesting. Mm. Oh, uh, the, uh, the court of arbitration for sport. Uh, the, yeah, so that one is tough to get some information on. Hmm. Um, it's, it was thought that, you know, I talked to a couple of people who, you know, had been kind of digging around. Um, it, it had been thought that there was some, uh, hearing that was going to be held last month, March, uh, to argue the case. Um, I do not know if that has occurred. Um, if it has, it's, been kept well in the wraps it's just you know you know it's just difficult to get information um out of the court in sweden or uh, switzerland excuse me um and there's just not much information so basically the only thing we're going to get is either one of the parties is uh able to provide or divulge that information or when the ruling uh gets announced but there the latest we have is that it was supposed to be argued last month but no one has confirmed that um i've been able to find any information out on that um, but that's the latest on that, um, at this point, which is unfortunately not a whole lot of information uh, that is just out there at the moment. So I have a, one last question. I think that's, we're going to close out at this point. Mm. How did you become the guy? Like, uh, you know, we, we, you know, everyone has seen the legal stuff come up and everyone speculates and wonders and stuff. And then you show up and all of a sudden people are like, Oh, Mickey speaking. Like he knows. And I just want to add to that. I, I just want to thank you because honestly, like I said, like I know there's a lot of people they print out this court case and they read through it, and I know you know our, a very good friend of mine, Leo Glickman. Like he can read through it and actually. We're so sorry. You absolutely yeah. <laughs> take what's in there, highlight the important parts, 
and translate it into layman's terms. And I thank you for that because, like, it's it's good to know reading through those things make my eyes, like, swell up. So <laughs> I, I thank you, too. But how did you become the guy that everybody looks to? Well, it, you know, it's just as a general thing, it, it's just kind of funny because uh, last, uh, I want to say September, obviously, is when the, uh, the uh, ruling came up against uh, NASL. Um, and I do some, you know, I do some federal law stuff, um, you know, cases. Um, so I've got all the, uh, the, uh, logins and all that stuff to just, you know, search cases. And I just happened to check one day, uh, to see what was going on in the lawsuit. And I just started kind of diving into all of, all of that information and just started, you know, translated into, uh, you know, you know, bite-sized tweets, which, you know, I guess tweet <laughs> that speaks for itself. Uh, as far as like morsels of information. And then at that point, you know, a couple of other attorneys reached out to me and we just kind of started discussing it. Um, and I just, uh, you know, just got really deep into the weeds on that stuff. Um, so it wasn't anything specific that, you know, caused people to, uh, you know, at least, you know, take my opinion seriously. Um, but at least, uh, you know, people seem to, you know, appreciate what I, uh, what I translated, I guess it probably helped a little bit that my, uh, you know, my analysis of the NASL's uh, preliminary injunction was essentially right on the mark. So, you know, like, you know, being right gives you a little bit of credibility, I suppose. Uh, but uh, beyond that, it wasn't anything specific. It's just, you know, you get, you get, kind of get into the weeds and this stuff, you start processing that bit and people are interested in, you know, obviously the goings on in soccer. So, and I guess the last thing is that there's not a lot of people discussing it um, and bringing it in a relatively, uh, you know, legible and readable format. Um, you know, soccer's still niche out, um, in the United States, so there's not a lot of writers out there, uh, you know, talking about it. So it helps that there wasn't, you know, it was help that I was able to develop something of a niche uh, writing about it. Hmm. Mickey, if, uh, you know, for our listeners who may not already follow you, I find that hard to believe. Um, for anyone who may not follow you already, can you tell them where they can, you know, follow along and, and you know, just pick up whatever you're putting out there as far as these court cases? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Twitter, obviously, uh, Turner ESQ. It's pretty easy. Um, and then, you know, I started a website uh, back in uh, February uh, after the, uh, you know, U.S. soccer uh, presidential elections and the, uh, the NASL uh, appeal came out. Um, so, Soccer ESQ is the website, and I basically, you know, chat about all. It basically allowed me a chance to do some more long form stuff than writing thirty seven tweets and um, analyzing <laughs> stuff. Uh, so it's it's a little uh, easier for me to just kind of go long form and go uh, deep into some of the issues, and so that just uh, allowed me a chance to kind of you know spread my uh, wings, so to speak. There we go. Well, thank you for joining us on the show. Hey, thanks for having me. I will. Uh, Talk to you later, and I uh, look forward to listening. That was uh, Mickey Turner, ESQ. Uh, good conversation there. I, I feel smart now. Yeah, I probably still don't know half of what he talked. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm just glad to have him on because, I mean, I can't read through that stuff, you know, all day. And and all day, every day, you know. So I, I'd rather him just update me. So that's, you know, that's, what, that's the best thing about the service he provides. And, I mean, just, I mean, starting with the... The antitrust. I mean, we're we're right. We're really close to the nitty gritty here, right? So yep. he, he said we're possibly a month away from a, a dismissal 
uh, hearing because he expects a motion to dismiss as soon as tomorrow and the show will come out. Um, I doubt they'll have a... I don't think they response if they could... If their choice is a response or motion to dismiss, they're going to try to dismiss it, right? So it's going to be... Re- so June, he said June 4th, right, would be the court date for that. That would be that would be a re- very, very, very big day because that's the day we find out if we're going to get the... We're going to find out who's sleeping with who behind each other's back or... Rocco's going to be really pissed off. Yeah, no, I, I, this whole situation has been so messy, and and I can't imagine that tomorrow will get any better. I, I do, I am very grateful to uh, Mickey for coming on and explaining this to us. At a minimum, at least I can understand a little bit more of the fiasco. But you know, definitely, I think I, I would be surprised if this isn't a long road ahead. There's just so much going on at the same time. It's let me just correct one thing. They, their hearing isn't June fourth. It's in June. June fourth is the other case. I apologize. I wrote it down on notes. So you were saying? Anyway, uh, yeah, no. It's I think regardless of what happens, there's a long road ahead. And I think anyone who listens to this show or anyone who just is aware of these court cases knows it's going to be a while. And then. The NASL has this other case against the individuals, which is the June 4th hearing. That's where we are waiting for the NASL to respond on the motions to dismiss. And June 4th is those hearings. So we'll find out on June 4th on those days. And and I think I know, you know, from you think about, uh, you know, the 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 focal figure on the NASL side of things, Rocco Camiso. You know, you know he, he will know by June 4th if he has a chance to go after guys like Gulati and Garber and really get some info on them. All right. You know, so and then, and then you know, I don't know what date the other hearing will be. So June is going to be a very pivotal month. Everybody's going to be in the midst of watching a World Cup without the USA. Everybody's going to be watching the World Cup. And there's some pretty heavy dates in U.S. soccer in that month. Yeah, it's uh, pretty wild. I guess, you know, we, we won't. We won't be at the cup. We won't be scoring any major points there. But who knows what'll be happening here? No, um, yeah. And in the arbitration request, you know, there's just nothing out on it. And I know we've had Crowley on the show, and I just don't think anybody's really going to speak about that. That's one of the more interesting ones to me, and, and it's the most mysterious, it seems, because it just you know there's just not a lot of info on it, as he said. Right? Because as a fan, you don't see a lot on it, and really, really, just a lot of court stuff going on in lower division soccer, and and. June. Let's just circle June, right? See if the NASL can make a league out of this. Yeah. I mean, tomorrow will be interesting. I, I was not aware. Tomorrow we'll find out what... that we, They'll probably get a motion to dismiss, which probably means in the next week or two, we'll know D-Day for the other the other case. Mm-hmm. June 4th in, in NASL versus the individuals. Sometime in June, possibly. Tomorrow is a big day as they will either answer or follow motion to dismiss. Uh, Mr. Turner expects dismissal. I'm going to go with his best guess because it's a hell of a lot better than mine. And we'll find out hopefully another date. So big days coming up in June. Yeah, definitely. You know, uh, badgering a witness gets you a yellow card. Uh, admissible piece of evidence is a point. Should be very entertaining for the fans. Let's uh, let's come back and go back on the soccer field and talk UPSL, MPSL, and all that jazz. Come back. Final segment of the evening, the NPSL-UPSL news coming at you. Start with the NPSL. 
They've selected uh, Select as their match ball sponsors of the MPSL. Select is an established brand from Europe, providing match balls for the Danish Superliga. And in September, they're going to start with Bundesliga and Bundesliga 2. So pretty pretty formative there. Mm-hmm. They were founded in 1947 by a Danish national goalkeeper, uh, Eagle Nielsen. The company has been involved in a number of innovative solutions, which included the 32-section design in 1962, which has become a standard for designs worldwide. NPSL has also named Mario Martinez Mitra National Player of the Week. Martinez made four saves, including a 94th-minute critical one in his NPSL debut on April 7th against Napa Valley for El Farolito, also recording a block on a PK. The Jalisco Mexico player has been with the team for 11 years and also played in the Mexican second and third divisions, along with the San Diego Flash of the A-League. MPSL is named Cindy Spera as the league's managing director. And this, she's a very impressive girl, a woman, I should say. Her resume is, is incredible. She had a playing career at Cornell University. She received all these awards playing there. She was on the Long Island Rough Riders, as a, the Lady Rough Riders, as a player from 94 to 2002. She won national titles with them in 95 and 97. She was part of the USASA National Championships with the New York Athletic Club as a player in 2017, a player chairperson 2010, and finally is just chairperson in 2014. She's held roles in the WPSL, where she continues to serve as the conference liaison, and the CSL, the Cosmopolitan Soccer League, which is a local amateur league in New York, and has been previously been the treasurer and director of operations for the MPSL, and has 20 years in the financial industry to boot. That's pretty impressive. God bless this woman. She has done well for herself. She has worked, no question. Uh, Cosmo signing quick. They signed defender Garrett Halfhill from FC Cincinnati, signed as a professional last August. Halfhill only made two appearances in 2017, one in the Open Cup, and was released from the club. He previously played in PDL for Des Moines Menace, making four appearances, and more recently the Cincinnati Dutch Lions, where he had 26 appearances and a goal. Cosmos also announced the signing of 24-year-old goalkeeper Macklin Robinson, who made a handful of appearances for North Carolina FC. How does this, how does she fit all that stuff into one page of her resume? My God. The Cosmos have also announced that their Open Cup match against the Brooklyn Italians is happening on May 6th. Their MPSL season opener against Boston City has been moved to April 29th. Canceling their, they've canceled their preseason scrimmage they had planned with Atlantic City FC. This is so the team has time to prepare for the Open Cup. Mm-hmm. Cosmos have always prioritized that tournament. For the most part. Uh, standings update in NPSL. West Region Conference, a Southwest Division. Orange County FC and FC Golden State share the lead with eight points, followed a point behind by AFC San Diego and FC Arizona. This is due to Orange County edging out San Diego 2-1 and FC Golden State drawing Temecula FC at 2. West Region Conference, Golden Gate Division. The lead is tied between two teams with two familiar names, El Farolito and CD Aguiluchos USA at 10 points each. This is following Napa Valley's 1839 FC's mm-hmm. loss to FC Davis this past week. Sorry, Nick. Farolito won 3-0 over the Sacramento Gold, and Aguiluchos beat Academia SC 2-1. South Region Conference, Sunshine Conference. Familiar name here, Miami FC 2. And Miami United FC played to a 1-1 draw in the only game that conference uh, in that conference so far, and they currently share first. I just want to say there's a couple of teams in Napa. I think Napa Valley 1839 is my team because their badge includes a bottle of wine. Let's go on to the UPSL. They've announced four clubs in the 2018 U.S. Open Cup. Uh, L.A. Wolves, L.A. Maquina FC, Santa Ana Wins FC, and Sporting Arizona FC will all represent. Last year, the Wolves made it to the third round before they fell to Orange County of the USL 1-0. This year, the Wolves play FC Golden State Force of the PDL, 
La McQueena will play FC Tucson of the PDL. I'm saying it wrong, aren't I? Keep going. Santa Ana will play Orange County FC of the MPSL, and Sporting FC Arizona will play FC Arizona of the MPSL. So it's La Machina, which means the machine. Oh, I, I would oh, see when I say La Machina, I am the machine. I think of that Russian. No, I say La. <laughs> see, that's La Quina. I'm because I'm well, Machina in Italian is M A C. Yeah, yeah. I no, you're, you're going with, full Italian here. I, I try not to. But, <laughs> I mean, Whatever. If I'm going to be wrong, which I'm going to be anyway. Cal United FC2's Christian Gordillo named UPSL National Player of the Week. The Mexican forward logged six goals in a 10-0 victory over SFV Scorpions FC last Saturday. He did that in 60 minutes, and he now has nine goals in four games. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Imagine he goes to uh, our boys in California, St. Nicholas. Jesus. <laughs> Fullersfield FC Lions announces an expansion club in the Southeast Conference Florida Central Division. They were founded in 2014. They will play their matches at Mary Cylinders Park. Don't ask me where that is. GM Ricky Ferguson used to play matches as in the American Premier Soccer League, so good for him. Revolution United FC announces an expansion club in the Northeast Conference. The club will host games at two facilities in Alton, New Hampshire. Super Green FC Eagles are announced as an expansion club in the Northeast Conference American Division. Based in Silver Springs, Maryland, they'll play their games at Montgomery Blair High School in Silver Spring and Paint Branch High School in Burtonsville. Founded in 1999, the club is affiliated with youth programs in Africa, South America, and the U.S. and its technical staff has developed players in eight FIFA federations. Head coach Paul Ocampo formerly coached at, formerly coached at the Harrisburg City Islanders. Pretty cool. You want to split these up? I'll lead off. All right. Standings update. Colorado Conference, Pro Premier Division. One game played in that division sees Colorado Rush on top of the division with the only win of the week. They beat Denver Metro FC 2-1. Northeast Conference, American Division is a club that I like very much. Junior Lone Star FC tops the American Division after a 2-1 win over Upper Darby FC this past weekend, much to the joy of Lower Darby. <laughs> the Northeast Conference, Patriot Division. Four teams tied with three points. They are Lynn United, Mass United FC, New Hampshire Rapids FC, and Safira FC. Southeast Conference, Florida Central Division, into Orlando lead the division with six points in two games, beating Winter Haven United FC. That's an interesting name for a Florida mm-hmm. club. Winter Haven United. And Deportivo Lake Mary in their first two games. Southeast Conference, Florida South Division. Florida Soccer Soldiers topped the division with six points in two games, beating both Broncos United, SS, Broncos United FC and and Miami Sun FC. In the Southeast Conference Mid-Atlantic Division, Low Country United are 4-0-1 to lead the division with 13 points. This past weekend, they beat Bragg FC 2-1. That's just unpatriotic. Southwest Conference. There's no division. It's just the Southwest Conference. MSC United and Southwest FC top this conference with six points each in three games. One of our favorite uh, conferences to keep are. an eye on, Western Conference Championship. San Nicolas FC and High Desert FC continue, <laughs> continue to lead the way with 15 points. San Nicolas has still only given up one goal and has a 27-goal difference. Their most recent victim, that's right, victim, was Bell Gardens FC, where San Nicolas won 6 nothing. <laughs> I mean, how do you feel if you're the one guy who scored against them. You got to feel pretty good. <laughs> the Western Conference Pro Premier Division, three teams top the division as California United FC, uh, two, LA Wolves FC, and San Diego Premier Pros FC all have 12 points. They really should have named that guy like Player of the Week. A year so far. Wild West Conference, after six games of play, the California Victory and Napa Sporting SC have the lead with 13 points each. 
So let's go into the listener questions, our favorite part of the show. First one comes from Nick Hassig at Nick Hassig on Twitter. Nick shared a write-up on his vision for MLS 1 and 2, and that's his idea of, uh, you know, essentially with a pro-rel model between the two leagues, and asked for our thoughts. Um, I mean, like, I thought it was pretty, I thought it was pretty well-structured. It's broken down between East and West, and you're promoting from the East and West, top three uh, move up, bottom three move down. Right. It's interesting. It's compelling. I you know, I don't think um, I, I think the model is good. I think it's just a lot of people have a lot of issues with the with the setup as far as, you know, all bunch of teams being excluded or left out. You know, there's people going to be who would be very unhappy about it. I do think the the model itself that you set up is pretty fair. Yeah, I I, I think he nailed it. I think uh, I'm interested to see the pro rel model two you have coming next week. I mean, that's if it's uh you know if it's MLS one MLS two with the current MLS teams. I think what you say is is pretty pretty fair. I always thought if they went to 36 teams, they would have two 18 division conferences, east and west, and do pro rel regionally. You know, amongst east and west, and then the, I would love to see two single tables, and then the title play a home-and-home home playoff type thing, or maybe you do the top four teams playoff, something like that. But let's see what else he comes up with. That's very interesting. Thanks for that share. Next up, uh, Tim Pickerel at Tim Pickerel on, uh, sorry, at DeepBlack69 on Twitter. Any thoughts on having Cindy Sparrow, the new NPSL managing director on the show? I think, hell yeah, I'd love to have yeah, her. Yeah, no, we, we gotta, maybe we'll reach out to her because her resume, as we just said, is, is extremely impressive, and, and I'd love to hear what her plans are for the league. He also followed up with something else. He goes, preseason, meh. So I finally saw Star Wars, which I had delayed watching, thinking based on the previous five movies would be bad and that I would hate it. Maybe my second or third favorite. Best Jedi movie for sure. I've always wondered about those books. Empire is still number one. Yeah, you, It's hard to talk about it without risking people spoiling things for some yes. people, but there were, there were parts of that. You know what? I, I was very interested because instead of it being like the traditional movies, which is like, I feel spanning across a course of days and multiple storylines and all that. This was really just kind of like a day in the life. Like we're just trying to get by. Save for that Princess Leia move, the Princess Leia scene. This, Poppins. this could be this could be the best one of this trilogy, right? I agree. Empire is the best one in the original trilogy, no doubt. And I think it's the the last one was the best of the tril the other trilogy, the first trilogy with uh, Natalie Portman. Oh, uh, the, the Revenge, That's when, when Anakin, Anakin becomes Darth Vader. That, you know, so. I, I mean, I just can't deal with whiny Anakin, but fine. So let's move on to the de Detective Inspector based on Jay Isarieta at Dream underscore King. Thoughts on the Napoon Chopra's recent article about D2 to D4 stability and Eric Stovis' comments around the contributing factors of being locked out of solidary pay transfer market revenue opportunities by USSF MLS. I, I, I've been really busy this week, so I've, I've actually got, I've kind of got bullet points on Chopra's thing. Uh, and, and it seems like it was a pretty well put together thing. But the reality is, I, I, of course, we know there's, there's no stability in, in the lower levels. And this is where I agree with the, the pro-rel crowd out there. It, it's all because of pro-rel. What, what are you playing for? What are you raising money for? And, and, and the fans aren't, the fans will go out and support, but there's no end game. Like, what's the end game? You you win your 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 league too. That is great. That is fun. That is exciting. But when it comes to you know, baseball, baseball, the minor league teams are funded. You know, there's money. When you're an independent team, you have no future. You, your future is D two. So if there was pro rel, I think that it would be more profitable in the lower divisions. I really, that's where I do agree with him. You know, it, it's it is a weird situation, right? I, there is no. I mean, we. Our Cosmos played in the NASL for so long, and I mean, set aside the state of the NASL now where they're dormant, but 
look at all the clubs that flushed in and out. You know, we had a, you had a couple of one-year wonders. You had uh, teams that were picked up by MLS. Teams have switched over to USL. Teams have just folded up. You know, it's it's a mess. There, there's that's right. There's nothing there. It's unfortunate. So, I mean, it's interesting because, and I know I have friends and and other listeners out there who will say this. It's interesting the impact that some of these clubs make in terms of culture through their supporters. Uh, obviously, the Cosmos, I feel, true, yeah. are one of them. Detroit City FC, no doubt at all. Chattanooga. You know, these are these are D2 through D4 clubs who make an impact through what they do off the field as well. The problem is, you know, look at what the Cosmos have done off the field. You know, whatever they've done politically or culturally, and now look at the state of the club. And they are, you know... I mean, I think they're on the ropes. I, I don't know if there's going to be a, a team at all next year. Yeah, yeah, that's it's tough. Yeah, so we'll see. We'll see. Also, uh, if you might pitch the at New York Cosmos Misfits and Cosmos Cardpool, would be great. The, the- so, real quick on that, uh, with the Cosmos now playing in the NPSL, most of their games are far more local than they've yes. been in the NASL. So they're planning road trips to, to Boston and to you know wherever else the opponents are. Prov- Prov- I don't know if it's Providence, Seacoast United. Um. Uh, well, Kingston's going to come down here. So, if you got, if any Cosmos listeners are listening and are interested in trying to like jump in on a road trip to head out to check out away games, check out hashtag Cosmos Carpool. Yeah, no, check it out. Should be uh, should be a good one. Uh, so, Boston Siege FC thoughts on our on the red card. Our center back Stephen Nuba received in the minute uh, minute one of the season opener against Safira. We played them down a man 90 plus minutes and held them to a one nothing finish with the highest paid amateur player netting the goal with 17 minutes left in the game. Boston sent us a link on the Maikuju video. That was, we, it was pretty, yeah, that was pretty freaking cool. They, they sent us the video for the whole match. Like we knew UPSL has been streaming their matches and honestly, guys, I have not had a chance to watch anything, but I did check out this one because you highlighted it and sent it our way. And Nick and I, you know, well, Nick and I actually got to, both had a chance to watch it. And I think we're in agreement. It was weak. It looked weak. I mean, from the angle we were. And admittedly, it was a little far and a little off. You know. I mean, it wasn't hard contact, you know, but it almost looked like I, I couldn't see from the angle, but it, he might have even got some of the ball there. I, I don't know, but that that's a tough angle. But I, I, I kind of weak, kind of weak. Yeah, I, I think you guys would you say robbed. Would you say he was last man? Like if it was, He definitely was last yeah, man. So if you, it was more blatant contact. So I could almost see where the ref came from with the red, like he's last man, took him down, but it wasn't. But yeah, I, I mean, yeah. to me, from where it was, it looked like he got ball. I yeah. can agree with that. Yeah. So I don't know if there was any call there to be made, but oh well. Moving on. Joaquin Colonava at JC Colonava. Cosmos got their game versus Boston City, moved up a week to the 29th to better focus on the Open Cup. It seems to be confirming they're going to go hard in the competition. Thoughts? How big will performance in the U.S. Open Cup be for them? Um, well, Open Cup is always their thing. The Cosmos, since they, since they were announced and they're coming back, Stover has always said Open Cup is a focus. It's it's something they want to win. Uh, and obviously this year it's going to be more of a challenge. The roster isn't as strong as it's been in the years mm-hmm. past. Let's just be honest about it. It's strong by MPSL standards, but not U.S. Open Cup standards. So, you know, you got to take the Brooklyn Italians are a tough team. And as are Lansdowne boys, if they progressed. So it's going to be, you know, I'm glad they moved it up. They, they're focusing on it. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, nobody should be just assuming that we're going to bypass the Italians or the Lansdowne boys. They are two very proud, you know, teams with lots of history. Italians are two-time winners of the Cup themselves. It's not going to be easy, and I agree with Nick. It's a strong roster for NPSL, not necessarily for the Open Cup. I think that they can 
potentially progress past these two opponents. I think they might have a little bit of a hard time against North Carolina, despite the difficulties North Carolina's had this year. But I also beg you to remember that last year they dropped the ball against an amateur side. And I, I do think that, yes, I agree with Nick that Open Cup has always been proclaimed to be the biggest and most important competition for the Cosmos. I think last year, in my opinion, I continue to stand by the the opinion that they kind of they they kind of let it slide a little bit as far as the importance. I think this, different decisions could have been taken, but you know the this is going to be a very big this is going to be a big deal for them. Like playing in the NPSL versus playing in the Open Cup, this is going to be a huge deal for them. So kudos to them for t- talking to the league for getting the match move to let them focus on the Open Cup. All right, moving along. American soccer fan at USA soccer underscore fan on Twitter. How is Carlos Cordero doing so far as the USSF president? Do you feel he's too focused being trying to get the World Cup in 2026 while so many other problems still present? Have changes been made? What's his progress report since being elected? I mean, he was elected what in February? So I, to be fair, I didn't expect any changes in the first couple of months. You know, he has to get in, see what he wants to do, whatever. Uh, he might be very focused on winning that World Cup, but I, I think it's a it's a big thing to get the World Cup. So I'm not as mm-hmm. mad. Obviously, there's changes, but you got to remember one thing: there is a lot of litigation to go going on right now. A lot that he hasn't been involved yet. So he might be waiting, and you know, as we heard from Mr. Turner before, till at least June to see where some of his litigation is headed, to see what kind of changes he might be going on. I don't know. I mean, everything's been status quo so far. I haven't seen a change really that that says, wow, Cordero's doing something good there. Um, But I really didn't expect too much drastic change in the first few months of his presidency. I I, I agree. There's no way that I was going to expect like a hammer to come down or anything by April. Right now, the guys try not to rock the boat too much. I I would think it's still kind of a honeymoon phase. Granted, he's probably in favor with MLS and a few other entities that are interested in seeing the status quo continue. Now, I do also have to say, his his focus probably should be the 2026 World Cup. Yeah. How is that going to be when you become the president and the first thing you do, if the rumors are all true, the first thing that happens is you lose the World Cup to Morocco. Yeah. Yeah. How That's does that, how does that reflect on you to lead off? How does that how does that open your tenure yeah. as president? So I I will say that yes, I I, I think it's sad com- considering like the state of lower league soccer in this country, but I didn't expect it to go any differently. I also think. And you might disagree, American soccer fan, and Louie, you might disagree. Look, I, I think we're at a day now where club football is a hell of a lot bigger than national team football, right? But to me, and especially European club football, like, you know, the, the, arguably Champions League is the best competition in the world. But to me, the, the fan around the world still loves the World Cup, right? I think so. And the USA is not there, right? They're, they're not there. So... They need to make a splash to show the world that they're still part of this thing. And that could be a, a part of it, too. Like, hey, we're not in the World Cup, but let's win one to remind people that we're still a player. Mm-hmm. You know, and then obviously try to get into Qatar in 2022, you know. But so there's a lot of factors there. But I, I don't think that he's too focused. I want to see them get the World Cup. I think it's a big thing. I know there's many out there that don't want them to for other reasons. That That's fine. Um, but again, I think the 2018 season is going to play out before we start seeing if Cordero is going to make any kind of changes. 
Let's uh, move on. He had one more question for us. Should MLS reserve clubs in USL be exempted in terms of stadium size that are part of the requirements in PLL? With the alternatives, have matches played in much smaller soccer stadiums, considering that play in oversized, largely empty stadium and lack of interest among fans? No, they should not be exempt. You want to be in the USL, you got to follow the rules. That's that's your cl- Even though it's a, it's a quote-unquote two-team, if you really can't handle the requirements, put your team in another league somewhere. That's just how I feel. So I... I do think that there is a, you know, definitely, I think there could be an argument there. I think it looks, I kind of like what Red Bull 2 have done in, in which they have had their second team play in a much smaller facility, which is only now being expanded to 5,000. Um, I, I do think that for some teams it's value or like it's cheaper for them to have their two teams play in their giant cavernous stadiums. You know, it, for them, it'll make more sense to do that. I think it looks bad. I do wish that it wasn't the case, but I think also in 2019, we don't know what 2019 holds. That could be a transition year. We've already heard Orlando City has an interest in putting their B team in USL D3, which means the standards would be lower. So who knows how many other of these B or two teams or Bethlehem right. Steels or Soul Park Rangers might end up dropping down to D3. So I think we, we kind of need to take a look at that and assess it first. But, uh, you know, I, I, I don't disagree. I don't think that, uh, the... This, I don't think the question is the size requirements because I think it's two things that you have there. The the 5,000 seat size requirement isn't too bad, but when you have these two teams play in MLS stadiums, it looks terrible. Awful. Yeah, and, and you know what? I mean, the D3 wants to be more regionalized. That might be better suited for the B teams anyway because you know maybe they want a more regional travel schedule why should they send you know you know say Red Bull maybe not they, they're doing amazing things with the, the development but it's someone say Seattle Sounders why should they send a team all the way to North Carolina like that's logistically that's a lot of money for a B team all they want these guys doing is getting quality minutes so maybe a regional D3 is what they want because maybe the travel isn't as extensive just there's a lot of factors that come in but I am to, to answer your question I don't if you want to be in the USL, whether you're A team or a B team, dun, 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 sorry, A team or a B team, you need to meet the requirements of the league. It's it's you just especially you know after everything the, the NASL just went through. No, you got to meet the requirements, and they have been trying to to, to be fair to them. And you know most most cases they've added the seats where needed to meet those requirements, and they should. Well, I think it's going to wrap up our questions. Uh, I think one quick announcement, right? No show next week. Yeah, so, ooh, wow, that was wow. really loud. Wow. We, you, we are punishing our listeners even yeah, more. <laughs> sorry. Uh, so, scheduling note, uh, apologies. So, I'm away next week. Um, then I come back and I have a busy week. So, me and Louie have to sit down and have a quiet romantic dinner and figure out when we're going to re- record again. It definitely is going to be in the next couple of weeks, but it, it could be on a Friday night when I get back. I'm, I'm away and then I have some other obligations that first week um, I come back. So, we have to find out time. I do apologize, but this is the beauty of the pint after. It really doesn't matter. Like, you know, it wasn't like Cosmos Country where we had to recap games, and we'll just come back, read off a bunch of scores, find find a good guest, and that's it. Yeah. So uh, make sure you follow us in the interim. Uh, we're pretty active. We're fairly active on our twitters. Uh, pint after uh, there is pint after pod at pint after pod. Excuse me on twitter for us there is pint after nick for nick and there is delta reaper for me and like i said we're fairly active on our own personal twitters we're always retweeting or talking about crap so feel free to you know jump in and join the conversation and that's all we had we again thanks mickey turner for joining us great episode thanks for the questions everybody and i love you all
Street.